Okay, back. We are here. Another day. Another day of hockey. Another trade. We, uh, we'll we get to Elias Lindholm going to Vancouver in a little bit, but um, wanted to start today. How about Alex Turcotte last night? Um, former fifth overall pick by the Los Angeles Kings. He went his first 13 NHL games without a point. He breaks out in game number 14. He scores his first NHL goal. Beautiful pass. What a feed from uh, Trevor Moore yesterday. Just perfect shot placement. And... Um, Gets an assist on the Trevor Lewis goal for point number two on the night, point number two on the career. And have yourself a night, Alex Turcotte. It was, um, you know, it was a long route for him to get there. He um, probably not a lot of people expected he would get there. Maybe there were points that even Alex Turcotte himself did not expect him to get there. I hope everybody's doing well today. It is uh, it's a great Wednesday here in Chicago. We, um, we have Raven back. Um, we're very happy to have him as part of the crew. And uh, sorry, we're just figuring out some headphone stuff here. My headphones are cutting in and out. But um, so Alex Turcotte gets the game game of his night, game of his life so far. Um, He was the player of the night, if you ask anybody around any of those three games. And I I think the Kings won. They've got to be very happy to enter the break with a win. That was 4-2 over Nashville last night. Um, But if you're Alex Turcotte, that's got to be a big weight off your back, just getting the point, getting the goal. Um, adding a helper in the Trevor Lewis goal, that's got to be a big sigh of relief for Alexander Turcotte. So um, if you are Los Angeles, you are very happy, one, to be moving into the break with a win. I'm sure that was something that the group uh, collectively needed. Uh, You could tell that was a big win for David Riddick um, in the net for Los Angeles. And I looked for a bit there like Nashville was going to come back and give Los Angeles a bit of a scare, but... Um, they come away with the win anyways. So that was uh, arguably the game of the night. We also had some exciting games. I mean, I will say for for a last night of hockey before a little bit of a break, the um, the hockey last night was pretty good after it wasn't so good the night before. Um, so that was exciting. And then we had a trade break. And I think we could just get right into that because I think that's the news of the day. It definitely is the news of the day. Um, so Calgary sends Elias Lindholm to the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver sends back a 2024 first-round pick, prospect Hunter Brustowicz, prospect Yoni Yermo, and NHL player Andre Kuzmenko throw in a conditional fourth-round pick in there as well. So um, we'll do the, the Vancouver side of things first, then we'll do the Calgary side of things. Um, if you're Vancouver, you get the top piece on the market. You get him a little early. You may have paid a bit of a luxury price to get him, but if you are Vancouver, you have the assets to be able to do it. We know that there has been a lot of talk of moving on from Kuzmenko for a bit now. We know that Calgary was always looking for a player back in any trade that they made. We hearken back to the Tyler Toffoli for Igor Sharangovich trade, which I know a lot of people at the time, myself included, might have raised an eyebrow at and wondered if Calgary really got their value there for a player like Tyler Toffoli. They seem to have in a, a player just as good in Igor Sharangovich. And for Vancouver, you can now take Elias Lindholm, and ironically it comes about a year and a day to the date that they traded for Bo, or they traded Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders, and Raven and I were talking off air. That was the whole deal of you, he was traded as he was going to the All-Star game to represent the Canucks, and he ended up representing the New York Islanders. He still played for the Pacific Division in that All-Star game last year, however. Um, we will see a similar situation here, also involving the Vancouver Canucks, but this time they are receiving the All-Star player, um, which is just so impressive because now they are sending Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, and their coach, Rick Tockett. So Vancouver is loaded going into Toronto. They will be loaded coming back. We'll see how the Elias Lindholm fit fits in Vancouver. He only has a year left on his deal. So if you look at it from a Vancouver perspective and you're trying to keep Lindholm around past this, the rest of the season in this playoff run, you're talking contract extension with him. So you have a bit of an exclusive window to negotiate with Elias Lindholm. Don't know necessarily what the... The desire is both for term and for AAV when it comes to Lindholm. I would assume it's an eight-year term. I would assume that even though the the season has not gone according to Elias Lindholm's desires, 
I would assume that that AAV is still somewhere in between the eight and the nine million dollar a year range. So if Vancouver does wish to commit long term, they were able to move out a piece of Andre Kuzmenko and um, clear up some cap space. They'll get some more cap off the books. Obviously, Tyler Myers comes off the books at the end of the summer, too, or at the start of the summer. So the option will be there for Vancouver to retain Elias Lindholm if that is something that they wish to do. If not, they'll slot him in. I mean, he's very versatile. He's a right-handed shot, which is really um, coveted if you're any forward group in the NHL, um, but especially one in Vancouver that seems to have a lot of lefties outside of Brock Besser. Um, so they, um, they'll they be able to plug him in at center. They'll be able to plug him in at wing, wherever they kind of see him fit with the group. Um, but off the hop, it seems to um, be a good fit for Vancouver now, switching over to the Calgary side of things, a lot of people on the internet, at the very least, a lot of the, the, the internet commenters seem to believe and be under the impression that uh, Calgary fleeced Vancouver and that that was what went down last night. Um, they got a lot of pieces in return, and we'll break them down here right now. And there's a lot of reasoning as to maybe why the price was as high as it was and maybe why Vancouver felt comfortable moving on from some of these pieces. So in return, we get uh, for Calgary right winger Andre Kuzmenko. And so starting with Kuzmenko, like I said, we know Calgary wanted a roster player in return if they are going to give up any of their players. Um, I think that also stands for a potential Chris Tanev trade, or if they were to move on from Noah Hannafin, they would want someone that can play on the NHL roster in return. So they get that in Kuzmenko, who had already been scratched five times this season by Vancouver. Um, we know that there was a no-trade clause that needed to be waived last night in order to go to Calgary because Calgary was on his no-trade list. The perception and talk from Craig Conroy yesterday, he was interviewed on Flames TV, and then he was um, on a Flames podcast last night to talk about the deal and break it down and talk about his feelings. And the thing about Craig Conroy is, is this was his first big move as a general manager. And we know he made the Nikita Zadorov move, also sending him to the Vancouver Canucks earlier in the season. Um, this deal is obviously a lot larger than that one, a lot more moving pieces, a lot bigger pieces coming back if you're Calgary. So um, there was a bit of excitement in his voice. There was a bit of nervousness. We have a clip we'll play in a little bit. Um, but this was a, I think Craig Conroy did a great job. So he gets back Andre Kuzmenko, who's been scratched five times this season. The... The selling point that really got Kuzmenko apparently to waive his no-trade clause was the promise of power play opportunity and being able to score a little bit. And I think that Calgary is going to give Andre Kuzmenko every opportunity to score and produce on the power play. Keep in mind, this is a player that scored 39 goals last year. It was one off of 40. And while you could maybe attribute that to a little bit of a higher shooting percentage than expected... Um, maybe contribute that to scoring goals on a team that maybe wasn't as good as they were last year, right? Um, Vancouver clearly was not the contender that they are this year, last year. And with that comes a more detailed way of how to play. You know that Rick Tockett is going, has been, and will continue to instill a structure in this team that needs to be played. Otherwise, you will not play in Rick Tockett's system. So that's why we've seen, obviously, Kuzmenko scratch a lot this year. Not saying that Calgary doesn't play with any structure, but the opportunity will be presented to him. They need to score, so he will get every opportunity to score for them. So I think that's only a plus for Calgary. Obviously, you have the first-round pick going back and a conditional fourth, too. That's just another shot at the dartboard if you're Calgary, if it ends up being. I don't know what the conditions are on it yet. Um, the 2024 first is obviously an intriguing piece if you're Calgary. This is a deep draft we have coming up. I know a lot of people touted this as maybe not the deepest draft as we've had, especially coming off a draft like we had last year. But I think more and more as the the 2024 draft starts to shape up a little bit, a lot of these pieces are really starting to identify themselves. I'm going to do a little bit of a projected top 10 later on in the episode. Um, but if you are Calgary, this first round pick that Vancouver has will most likely fall in the range, I mean, unless they go all the way and win the Stanley Cup, this pick will most likely fall in the range of about 20 to 25. Um, I still personally think you're going to get a really good player in there. Keep in mind, we're talking about the Calgary Flames here in a draft in which Naginla is up for uh, picking this year. So maybe that pick is part of a package deal, depending on where Calgary's own pick finishes. 
and they decide to move up in the draft and maybe select an again law. That is just me throwing things out there and seeing if they stick. We will see as we get closer to draft time. But never, never a bad thing to have a top 32 pick in your arsenal ready to go, even if you want to use the pick or if you want to use it to move up or even add another player later on. So good asset uh, recuperation for Calgary. They also get the two uh, prospect defenseman Yoni Yermo is um, probably the lower ceiling of the two. He uh, He's 21 years old. He's a left shot D-man. He's having a tough season with Cuckoo over in Liga. And I wonder personally if maybe it's time for Yoni Yermo to move over to North America, especially now that you have a new start with a new organization. Maybe they put him in with the Wranglers and see. I know Calgary, even in the AHL, are pretty deep defensively. Um, but I don't think it would be a bad thing to maybe give this guy more of an opportunity here on this ice. Um, he's spent his entire career in Finland, so maybe it's maybe it's about that time for him to make that transition over to the North American style of play and American professional hockey. Um, as far as Hunter Brustowicz, this is um, the most intriguing piece of the deal for me. He is a um, he was a Vancouver third round pick last year, seventy fifth overall. He is currently third in OHL scoring as we wake up today across all positions, which is very impressive. He shoots right, which is a coveted um, shot selection and way of shooting for defense in the National Hockey League. Everybody's always looking for a right shot D-man. He's on pace for 98 points this year. He's physically engaged. He um, is leading a very good Kitchener Rangers team that uh, has some pieces, but it's it's definitely Hunter Brustowicz that is leading the charge over in Kitchener. Um, so I think that this kid could be very good. I know that offensive production in junior, especially on the back end, doesn't always translate to offensive production in the National Hockey League. Um, that being said, however, I do think that um, Hunter Brustowicz will have every opportunity to make a hockey team. I think it was bewildering that he was left off the u.s world junior team they won gold anyway so maybe they know what they're doing over there at usa hockey but this kid was um not really projected to be too terribly much and he's broken out so much this year that he's arguably one of the best players in the ontario hockey league this year and that ability to lead the charge to eat a lot of minutes that will translate into the national hockey league so um I feel like his ceiling's a bit higher than Yoni Yermo. It's probably a fourth defenseman, maybe five or six, that gets sec some second power play time. And um, we'll see where that goes long term. But I think, one, just a very nice trade for Calgary, being able to recoup two defensive prospects, a first-round pick, and a player that you can insert into your lineup right now that scored almost 40 goals last year. That's a great, that's a great day for Calgary. I think the fan base is pretty happy with the trade. I think Craig Conroy is very happy with the trade. Do we have the clip about Craig Conroy talking about it? Of course. Right on. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I think it was how quickly it all came together today. Uh, you know, I didn't think it when I woke up in the morning. I didn't think this was going to be something we were going to be doing tonight. But, uh, you know, talking to Patrick early in the morning, uh, congratulated him his new contract. And uh, he said, let's move this thing along. And it was a few things I was hoping to get. And he, we talked about it. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's like, if I do this, is we have a deal? I said, okay, let me check. But, I, you know, I wanted to make sure to get back to the other teams. And uh, they were all very professional. But really, this is, as we move forward, this is the first time I've done it. So uh, a little bit nerve-wracking. But, uh, you know, it took a little longer than I thought. But excited now that it's, that it's done. So that was Craig Conroy, general manager of the Calgary Flames, talking about this deal. Um, one, you have to wonder immediately, one, who the other teams were. Um, I guess now we can speculate a little bit now that the deal is done. You maybe wonder if the Colorado Avalanche had some interest in Elias Lindholm. You wonder maybe if the New York Rangers had some interest in Elias Lindholm. The Boston Bruins maybe. Um, there were probably a lot of teams interested in Elias Lindholm, but probably none that put together the package quite like Vancouver did. We know that their intention is to go all in this year. They have the core of young players. They're trying to show players like Elias Pettersson and even Quinn Hughes to some extent that they are committed to winning and that they will spend the assets and spend to the cap. I think the the money is kind of a wash in this deal with the with Kuzmenko going the other way. Um, but that being said, I think um, Vancouver is very happy that they got this deal done. And I think that 
it would cost, it does cost a little bit more in today's National Hockey League to acquire a player earlier than the deadline, which I think is a bit of a different way of thinking than people are normally used to when it comes to sports in general and the trade deadline. A lot of people tend to believe that the closer you get to the deadline, that there's more of a bidding war for your your player, and that will eventually drive the price up. So if you take things to the 11th hour, that you are more likely to get a heftier return than maybe you would have thought earlier. And who knows, maybe if Calgary had hung on to Elias Lindholm through or up until the trade deadline, maybe they would have gotten a bigger package for him. But you also run the risk of getting close to the deadline, other teams making other moves with other organizations that are more willing to trade their players right now, and then them kind of lowballing you once the deadline comes around. So if someone wants your player now, and they're willing to pay a premium in order to get that player into their organization sooner than the trade deadline, acclimate them to their style of play, trying to get them involved in the team. I mean, you know, we saw the Zadorov trade earlier between these same two teams, and um, I don't know if you would necessarily count that as a move you're making earlier than the deadline, as relative as this move is. Um, that the the Zadorov move, you know, that he just really didn't want to stick around in Calgary, and um, that he was ready to move on to a different organization, regardless of the situation. I think he wanted to go to a Stanley Cup contender, but um, you don't really get a say when you are trying to get a move like that. Um, so. With Lindholm, I think that is just the going rate. I think they wanted something similar. Or if you were if you were Calgary, you were looking at the um, the Bo Horvat trade that we talked about earlier that was made a year to the day at, before this one, and maybe arguing a similar return. I know the return was pretty similar for Bo, Bo Horvat. Um, the assets going back to Vancouver. I know that those assets were then spent on acquiring players like Philip Ronick. Um, but still, that seems to be the going rate of first, a good prospect, um, and a NHL player, which was Anthony Beauvillier in that deal last year. So, um, great deal all around. I love to see moves like this. It has been a while since we've seen a really hockey trade. We obviously saw the cutter goatee deal. We talked about it when that first broke. Um, but there haven't really been a lot of deals involving NHL players going both ways. So that's pretty exciting, I think. You know, that, that shows that maybe things are opening up a little bit in the NHL. Um, but that's just another player off the board. I think um, trade deadline day used to be like this big event, this big spectacle. It was on TV. It was on the NHL network. They did a program and in Canada. They do a program, and I think they still will do their program over in Canada and even here in the U.S. But um, the idea of bringing in a player into your system earlier definitely leans away from all of these big flurries of trades happening on deadline day or even the day before. So um, I think that this is just a great trade all around. Um, I think Lindholm will fit in nicely in Vancouver. I don't know about the long-term potential of him sticking around in Vancouver. There has been some word that maybe he wants to play stateside. There's been some word that um, Maybe he just wants a, a fresher opportunity, maybe on the East Coast. He used to play in the East Coast with the Carolina Hurricanes, keep in mind. So um, we will see where all this goes. But for right now, Vancouver has a very nice piece that they will be able to augment their top six with. And we'll see how far they go in the playoffs. Um, I think that's what this is all, move is all about. That's what this move has an eye towards. And we'll see how far they can go. The West is already shaping up to be a very, very competitive, even first round. So... Um, getting out of the first round will be a challenge in and of itself. And if Vancouver can do that, then there's only eight teams left. So um, we'll, we'll see how far they go. And Calgary, um, he finishes, Craig Conroy finishes that clip there that we played talking about the Flames' expectations for the rest of the season. And I think he just wants to see growth. He wants to see improvement, consistency, all of these uh, great things that we want in a hockey team but don't always necessarily get in a hockey team. And with Calgary, I think you're you're – it's always been an issue. Calgary is one of those places. Um, we saw the large exodus from Columbus a few years back when Sergei Bobrovsky and Matt Duchesne and all of these different pieces picked up and left. And then you had um, Seth Jones leave and Pierre-Luc Dubois and the list goes on and on. And with Calgary, you have kind of the same situation. Obviously, Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau made their famous exit from Calgary last or two last season. My gosh, time flies. Um, but... 
with Calgary, I think you need to understand that not everyone is going to make a home there. And not saying that Calgary is necessarily Winnipeg when it comes to the extent that you need to draft and develop well in order to procure talent within your organization. We know that Winnipeg is a very difficult um, spot to lure free agents to. Um, I would say the same thing goes for Calgary. Um, but Calgary, I mean, these are all hockey mad markets. So if you're a Canadian, if you're from there, if you understand and appreciate, even if you're an American and you understand and appreciate the love that Canada has for hockey, maybe you'd look more into playing for a Canadian team. But um, it's getting guys to stick around that is really the issue. So if Lindholm didn't really want to stick around, the, the Flames apparently had a contract offer on the table that was pretty much what he wanted, and he declined it. So I think just acquiring players and the same thing goes for a player like Noah Hannafin. I can really envision Noah Hannafin wanting to play on the East coast, maybe even in new England, maybe even for the Boston Bruins. Um, so I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with mo moving a guy like Noah Hannafin. I think where the issue will really come is if you let a player like that, just walk, um, thinking that you'll be able to resign him, thinking that maybe he'll eventually want to resign with you I know that there's been a lot of discussion with Noah Hannafin. Um, I don't think there's been as much or if at all discussion with Chris Tanev on the Calgary Blue Line. Um, but I would assume that we see both of those gentlemen moved before the trade deadline and probably to Eastern Conference teams. I don't know if Calgary and Vancouver will be linking again for another deal. So we'll move off from the trade unless uh, another one comes through or unless we find out that that conditional fourth rounder turns into a first rounder if something crazy happens, even though I doubt it. I would assume, Raven, do you think we could actually look up the conditions on that fourth rounder if there are any? Just to, you know, bug you a little bit and um, see if we can get there. But I, I transitioned into the other games last night. We're not going to talk too much about the games last night just because there were only three and a lot of these teams were kind of out of playoff position and... You know, you look at the last one, and that was the last game before the NHL All-Star break and before the NHL took a few days off from hockey. And we got San Jose and Van or San Jose and Anaheim. Sorry, I got the Vancouver Canucks on my mind. But it was the San Jose Sharks taking on the Anaheim Ducks at the Honda Center. And it looked like, first of all, the hottest goal scorer in the National Hockey League is Mark Edward Vlasic. I talked to him or talked about him a little bit yesterday. Um, he scores again last night. I should have I should have known that he was going to score last night, especially after we spent a little bit of time talking about Mark Edward Vlasic yesterday. And his quote, I can still play this game. Um, but he scores a goal last night again. He has a career-high three-game goal streak, and he has five goals in his last nine, nine games. Those are all of his first five goals of the year, I might add. But um, he's the third Sharks defenseman, 36 or older, with a three-game goal streak. The others? current Carolina Hurricanes defenseman Brent Burns and Dan Boyle. Um, but it was the Anaheim Ducks who had the last laugh going into the break. Troy Terry scores with about a minute and one second left. Surprisingly, only in his, sec his second goal in 23 games against the Sharks, you would have thought that a player like Terry would have had a lot more goals against a team like San Jose. But we know that earlier on in Troy Terry's career, too, San Jose was a pretty big uh, powerhouse team. So it was hard to get goals against them then. Um, but... All right, Tassos, I got you. What do we got? Are there conditions on this pick? On the fourth round pick, the condition that I'm seeing the most is that if the Canucks reach the Western Conference Finals, that conditional fourth pick would become a third round pick. Okay. All right. So um, not a crazy amount of conditions. We're not going to see it bump up. But even still, if it bumps up to a third rounder, that's still a bit of a higher selection for Calgary than a fourth rounder would be. I mean, we're talking... Um, maybe 15 spots here of a difference, but still, um, that's worth your while. If you are Calgary adding that condition on, um, but Frank Vitrano scores the overtime winner last night in Anaheim, all-star Frank Vitrano scores the overtime winner last night. And he sent his stick flying into the stands. We all saw the Trevor Zegris goal celebration a year ago or two years ago, where he tosses the stick into the, um, the bench we saw it with Jack Hughes too, um, tossing the stick into the crowd after you score the overtime winner. Just an electric move, but um, Vitrano launches his stick. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen that in, in the age of um, wilder and wilder goal celebrations. Still looking at you, Pavel Buchnevich, and smashing your stick on the glass. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a player throw their stick that high and into the crowd. I almost had a bit of a concern for anybody in the stands, hoping that that didn't come down on anybody hard, but everybody seemed no worse for the wear. Um, 
So, and, and I also wanted to mention, too, that there was a really good, um, before the Sharks-Ducks game, I was watching the Sharks broadcast, and there was a really good sit-down. I wish I knew the player that um, was interviewing him. I don't have it on the top of my head, but the the Sharks broadcast team did an interview with Logan Couture that aired last night. It was recorded a little bit before he returned from his injury. Um, it was just a really good, candid talk, um, talking about old players like Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. You can tell just even to this day how much a player like Logan Couture respects those guys, even though they've moved on from the National Hockey League. And even still, he mentioned that the only player he really watches to this day and um, still tries to take from and apply things to his game is old teammate Joe Pavelski, who you could tell in the interview, he said that um, they really wish they still had him in San Jose, but it was the, the tone of voice and the look in his eye that you could tell that Logan Couture really wishes Joe Pavelski was still around, but um, it was very interesting. He said that he still watches Pavelski as far as ways to adapt his game and grow his game, and um, Logan Couture is still pretty young, and I think the fact that um, he even has an old teammate like Joe Pavelski, who is very much older than Logan Couture, still doing what he is doing in the National Hockey League, it gives a lot of credence to um, Logan Couture pushing forward and um, growing his game still. There's still a lot of hockey left in Logan Couture. I know he's been injured the last few seasons, um, but and the team hasn't been that good over in San Jose, so it's a bit difficult to keep an eye on a player like that. Um, but it's still very nice to see. And one interesting point that I took away from that uh, pregame broadcast sit-down interview with Couture was he mentions, they, they ask him about the way of the NHL, the new NHL, with all the speed and the talent and the high-end skill of a lot of these players. Um, Logan Couture doesn't lack skill, I might add. He is a very, very skilled hockey player and plays the game in an honest way. Um, but they, they ask him about the NHL changing, and Logan Couture kind of mentions that the NHL really changes every five years. You can kind of divide things up into blocks, um, one team will win the Stanley Cup playing a certain way, and then for the next four subsequent years, everybody will try and emulate that style of play, try and copy the, the success that that team had, and try and put it out on the ice. And so you see it in groups of five, he says, where after five years, a different champion will win in a different manner, and that team will kind of become the standard for the rest of the league to try and follow. And he said that also applies to the players, that applies to the updated speed of the game and the skill, that every five years or so, the skill just becomes that much more. And then he brings up the fact that guys who have 15 or 20-year careers are all that, all the more impressive because they adapt, they adjust their style of play. Yes, they stick to the identity that brought them there and the skills that they have procured that um, stand out maybe above the rest. I'm thinking of a player like Joe Thornton and his passing ability. That was never going to go away, whether it was year one or two or year 18 or 20. Um, but just the ability to adapt to the game and the style of play. Um, keep in mind, like Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe played very, very late. Like they just retired. I mean, I know a lot of people were still wondering if Joe Thornton would even play. He had his funny video earlier in the year where he said he was not. Um, but even still, the... The ability of those guys to play for a very long time, and like I mentioned, even Joe Pavelski today, I think he's 39 years old, if I if I have that correctly, and the way he plays is adaptable, and he, I mean, Joe Pavelski's game, his style of game is never going to escape the NHL. You, If you play that style of way, there is a spot for you, um, being gritty, being skillful, but also just being able to go to the front of the net, deflect pucks, get rebounds, follow up on chances, um, getting your stick on pucks first, especially in front of the net. That is a skill that maybe Joe Pavelski has um, the most array of talent in the National Hockey League with that. Um, so long story short, Logan Couture has a long career ahead of him. Um, we mentioned Mark Edward Vlasic earlier now and yesterday too and we talked yesterday when we mentioned Mark Edward Vlasic we did talk about the contract a little bit of which he has two more seasons left on his deal and I think the cap hits somewhere around eight million dollars um so moving on from Mark Edward Vlasic is going to be a tougher challenge than um moving on from a piece of let's say Logan Couture and I'm not sitting here saying that Logan Couture wants to be moved um I did not gather that from the interview at all in fact I gathered quite the opposite that in fact he Feels he owes a lot to the San Jose Sharks organization, that they are the team that drafted him and grew him as a leader, surrounded him with people that he became very close with. 
Um, Joe Thornton is still around the organization, still around the team. He still lives in the Bay Area and is um, hanging around the locker room and interacting with the guys still in San Jose, um, which you can tell is definitely something that um, Logan Couture appreciates. So that being said, I don't think that it would necessarily be a bad move for Logan Couture to move on and try and see if he can go win a Stanley Cup somewhere. We know that Colorado has long been looking for that second center replacement for Nazem Kadri after he left after their Stanley Cup winning season. And it doesn't appear as if Ryan Johansson is getting the job done according to the liking of the rest of his Avalanche teammates. So um, maybe bringing in a piece like Logan Couture. I could also see him maybe going to a team like Boston. You've got the Joe Thornton connection there. I don't really know where else might have interest in him. I could maybe see a team like the Carolina Hurricanes poking around a player like Logan Couture. Um, or maybe he stays in San Jose. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk about guys in San Jose. I've heard Tomas Hurdle's name bandied about a little bit in the in the mill. Um, but I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Obviously, Hurdle just signed a big extension with them, and you can tell that. I mean, I, I don't remember who it was I was listening to earlier, but um, you sign a long term contract in San Jose, California. You might be okay just staying there too, regardless of what the product is on the ice. It's pretty nice weather there, from what I hear. It is uh, a nice area to live, especially if you're making a lot of money. Maybe, maybe you wait it out if you're a guy like Tomas Hurdle, and maybe if you're Logan Couture, maybe it's not so much the nice weather. Maybe it's just the gratitude that you feel towards the organization for, like I said, drafting you, developing you, turning you into the player and leader that you currently are. And maybe you just want to continue giving back to the community and the organization and hoping to see it through out the other end of this rebuild. Um, so that is the San Jose topic of discussion. A lot of a lot of talk for a team that lost 3-2 to two in overtime in their last game before the NHL All-Star break and one that currently languishes at the bottom of the standings and lost to another team currently occupying a nearby space in the standings with them in the Anaheim Ducks. Um, but I think San Jose is a very interesting team. I think... We have Calgary, who just made that deal. And if you look at some of the the trade boards as far as available players, a lot of them are Calgary Flames. If you were to take the Calgary Flames out of it, um, it might be a pretty bare list as far as available players. Um, I think that a lot of the players... I don't think San Jose is going to be flipping a lot of the guys that maybe they have on expiring deals um, for less than a first-round pick back. And even less than a second-round pick, right? I don't think there's a whole lot of um, need to bring in another third-round pick if you're San Jose or another fourth-round pick or even lower. I think it would be more beneficial for you to continue to develop the players that you have. Shakir Mukamadoulin, who I talked about yesterday, got his first NHL point on the assist on the Anthony Duclair goal last night. Um, congrats to him for his first NHL point. And he even looked better. I mean, on the second half of a back-to-back, you could tell that that kid definitely felt a lot more comfortable in the game against Anaheim yesterday. Still made a couple mistakes, still made a couple uh, defensive zone turnovers, but you can tell that the game is coming along and playing him with a guy like Mark Edward Vlasic is only beneficial to that player and being able to grow and be who you are and also having a responsible player look at you and just be like, hey, like this is how we do things a little bit. Maybe smarten up on that uh, turnover. You saw a little bit of conversation with them after the turnover in the third. And it happened right after the tying goal from Troy Terry, too. So not a great turnover from Mukamadoulin. But um, still, you see that player coming to his own. And another player, too, like William Eklund, who had another assist yesterday. Um, that was after having two assists the night before. That is a player that is really starting to come into their own, command the offense a little bit. Um I've been thinking a lot about power plays recently. Um, some very good power plays that I have seen in recent years have maybe looked a little bit different, maybe dried up a little bit. Um, I've talked a lot about the Dallas Stars on this program here. I'm a big fan of the Dallas Stars right now. I think they have a very good shot at winning the Stanley Cup. I think they have a very good team. Jason Robertson is one of my favorite players to watch in the National Hockey League. I think he's very cerebral, shoots the puck well, um, is a very intelligent player, sees the ice incredibly well. And... Part of my reason here, I'm going to get back to uh, what I was talking to talking about in a second, but um, I feel as if with a lot of skill on the ice, if you are a team like the Dallas Stars or a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs or a team with a lot of high-end skill players, even in the forward position, it makes it difficult for the power play to run through one person. 
And I'll tell you what I mean by that. You watch the Toronto Maple Leafs power play, and on any given power play, on any given night, you don't really know if it's going to be running through Austin Matthews. Sometimes it runs through William Nylander. Sometimes it runs through Mitch Marner. In my personal opinion, you should be running the Toronto Maple Leafs power play through the hands and stick of Mitch Marner. That doesn't necessarily mean that Austin isn't the trigger guy on the power play. He is and always will be on that power play. Um, but it's just an understanding of who runs your power play and who the puck cycles through always and who is looking to be the setup man. You look at one of the more consistent power plays in the National Hockey League over the last few years, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. And on the Tampa Bay Lightning, you have arguably the greatest collection of talent that you have on any power play in the National Hockey League with about three future Hall of Famers on it, maybe four, um, if you want to throw a Braden Point into that mix. But the power play in Tampa Bay runs through Nikita Kucherov always. And we could sit here and talk about Nikita Kucherov all day long. I have a lot of time for Nikita Kucherov. He's probably one of the more deft players in the league, one of the more um, just shifty, tricky guys. You you can never read him. You don't know where the puck's going to come off his stick. If he's going to rip a shot or if he's going to make a nice pass over to Braden Point in the bumper slot there on the power play, or if he's going to trade it back and forth cross ice with Steven Stamkos on the flank, or even if he's just going to throw it back up to Victor Hedman and reset. Um, the power play always goes through Nikita Kucherov, no matter who the trigger man is. Same thing should be said in Toronto, and same thing should be said in Dallas. I, I think Dallas is having a bit of an identity crisis when it comes to the power play. That was a long-winded way of me getting back to my original point of discussion, which was Will Eklund on the San Jose Sharks. And you can tell that the power play is running through this kid, which I think is only beneficial to his future success and the future success of the team. This is going to be one of your offensive drivers for the next 15 years, and you want him feeling comfortable with the puck on his stick. You want to be putting him in opportunities where, yes, he can collect points and gain that confidence, but also just being able to understand that, hey, this five-man unit runs through you, regardless of if we're crashing the net, regardless of if we're following up on a rebound, if you're going to feed someone else, you make that decision. You make that decision. You are the one with the power on your stick to be able to either dictate how this power play goes, whether we create opportunities or not. And if they can filter the power play through Will Ackland for the foreseeable future, I think that bodes well for future success of the San Jose Sharks. So uh, we'll move on from the Sharks. Adam Fantilli is going to be out eight weeks with a skate laceration to his calf. That is unfortunate, although I feel like Columbus and Adam Fantilli got away from maybe that situation being a little bit worse than it potentially could have been. It uh, kind of stinks that around the NHL, the rookie race is being dam- a really excellent rookie race. My dad is being dampered a bit by injuries um, currently are one and two NHL rookie scoring leaders, Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli, out with injury. Um, obviously, we would have loved to have seen Connor Bedard at the All-Star game this year, but uh, we will have to wait for that. And um, Adam Fantilli still has a bright future. He's been very good for Columbus. Um, they have won, obviously, the first game. He missed 1-0 in St. Louis on Tuesday. Um, but still, I think that um, that's an unfortunate situation for Adam Fantilli. It is an unfortunate situation for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I know that um, the best thing for development is to play games. It's not to sit on the sideline and watch and heal. um, But we wish the best to Adam Fantilli. I hope he recovers soon. And good thing he was wearing a Kevlar sock. It would have gone a lot differently if he wasn't wearing Kevlar socks. Um, He, I heard mention that he was wearing them and that that was just a big sigh of relief for the organization. So um no games on the board tonight or tomorrow um because we have the nhl all-star weekend we're going to hopefully connect with avery lewis mcdougall in the morning uh tomorrow morning and um that will be good we're going to hopefully talk to him about what goes on tonight that being the nhl all-star draft that should be a fun event and the pwhl showcase which should also be a very fun event a little three-on-three event going on um so We will see about that, and obviously Gary Bettman is going to give his State of the Union um, press conference tomorrow at noon Eastern time. I think that is when that goes down. So we might have to get Avery on early, early if we we are able to connect with him tomorrow morning. If not, hopefully we'll touch base with him after the following week. Um, So lots of stuff to um, hopefully get to with him about the All-Star break. So We're going to keep it short here today. Obviously, not a lot of um, stuff going on. We had the big deal go down. We had the three games to talk about last night. 
um, and maybe what that means a little bit for the future of some of these teams. The other game last night, Ottawa defeats the Detroit Red Wings 3-2 in overtime. Shane Pinto with the game-winning goal in OT. Beautiful pass from Thomas Shabbat. And just having your stick flat on the ice will do you so much good in any hockey league, whether it is your men's beer league, whether you are in college hockey or youth hockey or even the National Hockey League. Just having a good, strong stick on the ice, strong bottom hand, keeping it flat, you will be able to put pack, put pucks past goaltenders. Try saying that five times fast. But um, So Shane Pinto with the game-winning goal. Uh, Jake Sanderson leaves early on in the game in the first period. There was no update there. Uh, just a lower body injury. We um, hope he gets better soon. He's a very talented player, and Ottawa could definitely use him, and they obviously needed that game out of um, Eunice Corpus Hollow too. Um, just back-to-back solid games for him. Hope- hopefully he can take that confidence into the All-Star break and come back, and uh, the Senators are going to need him to be very solid if they hope to push forward in the second half. I think we have a really exciting second half of the NHL season on our hands. Um, but I wanted to finish with this, and... There are a lot of, we've done a little bit of prospect talk. I've talked a little bit about college hockey, how much of a fan I am of that. Talked a lot about junior hockey. I um, looked at tickets for the Memorial Cup in Flint this year. One, I'm pretty sure the event is sold out. And two, even if they, even if it wasn't sold out, the, the lowest price for a ticket I was seeing for the 2024 Memorial Cup, $350. Oof. So um, we'll, we'll see if we end up making that happen. I might be able to find a way in for us eventually. Um, but... I don't even know if there are tickets available left, um, which one is very exciting for the city of Flint. I read an article yesterday about um, Vancouver Canucks prospect Josh Bloom, who was uh, returned to a very interesting case. You don't really see a lot of 20-year-olds signing with um, Canadian Hockey League junior teams. Generally, if you are of that age, your rights are already kind of owned by a team. But Josh Bloom had spent, uh, he started his OHL career in Saginaw. He bounced around a little bit. I'm trying to recall from this article I read late last night. Um, But he bounced around a little bit in the Ontario Hockey League when he played. uh, Went to game seven of a conference final while he was in the, while he was with one organization. It's escaping me off the top of my head. I think it might have been Owen Sound. Um, I'm probably wrong there though. But uh, Saginaw is really building something there. They have a really exciting team. They got Michael Misa, who's probably the top prospect for the 2025 NHL draft. Um, but the 2024 NHL draft is shaping up, like I said earlier, to be a lot deeper of a draft than I feel like people realize. Um, I'm going to run through my top 10 right now. I'm going to share a little thoughts maybe where I want to. Um, keep in mind, when, when as we get closer to the draft and as I finally figure out how to post this website up and we start blogging a little bit here, um, not just on the hockey side of things, but on all sports side of things, um, I'm going to post uh, some mock drafts up there. Keep in mind that what I share with you now is uh, my personal top 10. If I had every single pick in the top 10, these are the players I would pick in which order I would pick them. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that this is what I feel like the teams who will be picking in June, those are the picks that they'll go with. These are just simply the picks that I would go with based off of what I've seen from these players. Um, so I'm going to run through it. I mean, obviously, Macklin Salbrini is going one, whether that is to the San Jose Sharks or the Chicago Blackhawks. I really hope it's the Chicago Blackhawks only because that would be nice for us to see him here. I'm always a fan of players going to places that they grew up playing. So obviously we know Macklin Celebrini was a San Jose junior shark, and I'm sure the Sharks organization would love to have that kid in Teal this summer. But um, I think it would just be really electric if he was on the Blackhawks just playing with Bedard, um, giving them another foundational piece going forward to go with uh, Kevin Korczynski. Um, Macklin Celebrini is the guy. He's a cerebral player, no pun intended. And um, he just looks like a very complete hockey player. Like he, I watched him again, uh, Boston University and Northeastern. They lost, They ended up losing that game I mentioned earlier on the broadcast earlier this week. And um, they ended up losing that game. But man, Macklin Celebrini, not for lack of trying on his end, scored another goal. I mean, the kid is just excellent, excellent, excellent. And you have to keep in mind when you're watching a level like the NCAA and watching a player like Macklin Celebrini, you have to remember he's younger than everybody else. So um, just makes what he's doing all the more impressive. He should be the first off the board no matter what, unless something crazy happens. And my craziness starts at number two. Um, I've been very high on this player all year. Um, it's Artem Levshinov, the right-handed shot, Belarusian defenseman playing in Michigan State right now. That kid continues to get better with every viewing I watch of him. 
he might just be the best player on Michigan State right now as an underage defenseman playing on a very good college team that has worked the transfer portal probably more so than a few of the other NCAA hockey organizations. We obviously a lot of tra- we obviously see a lot of transfer portal movement in football, excuse me, and um, e- even in basketball too, um, but not so much in hockey. And uh, we we've seen Michigan State make some good moves. And um, so I think Artem Levchinov is going to go number two. We think back to uh, past few drafts. We've had, um, ironically, right-shot defensemen from non-traditional hockey countries that have skyrocketed up the draft rankings late. We had Moritz Sider being the first example. Um, he's of the Detroit Red Wings, we all know. And uh, David Reinbacher, the Austrian defenseman who was drafted fifth overall by the Montreal Canadiens last year, who... I know not only the Canadians are very high on, but a lot of people are very high on. I'm very high on David Reinbacher. I think he's going to be a very good player. I think comparing all of these three exactly, they're all very different players. Moritz Sider is obviously a bigger body, hits more, and even has a bit more of a heavy shot. Um, power play acumen um, It's just a different guy. Reinbacher is a bit more of a shutdown player. I think there's some offense to David Reinbacher's game, but less so than a Moritz Sider, even at that age and even as he transitions to the NHL. Um, but that being said, I think Lev Shinov is somewhere in between the two of them. I think he's got more offense than Reinbacher, but not as much as Sider. I think he's... Um, could You could argue that maybe he likes throwing the weight around just as much as Moritz Sider, um, is intelligent, is open to growth, one of the things with Artem Levshinov I like, too, is he's already at this certain point, and I think the growth potential for him exceeds even a player like David Reinbacher. The the ceiling, not not just the ceiling, but just the, the room for growth, I think. David Reinbacher has had good development in Austria. I know Austria isn't necessarily known for its hockey development, but a player like uh, Artem Levshinov has bounced around a lot to the point where he's you know, it, it, it's not so easy to develop hockey in a country like Belarus. They are a very good hockey nation. They have produced a lot of NHL talent before. That is not what I'm saying. But I don't know that, I don't know what it would necessarily take for a player born, raised, and trained in Belarus to be picked that high. Now, um, my spot for Levchinov second overall is a lot higher than other people. A lot of, I've seen three, I've seen four, I've seen five um, with him. So, um, I think that's a testament to just his growth and his ability to move over here. His English is getting better. Um, give me give me Artem Levchinov at two. Uh, my number three is Cole Eiserman. And I know, so he was the early number two. If we were to do this early season on and preseason projections, Cole Eiserman was the number two prospect behind Macklin Celebrini. And in a lot of cases would have challenged Macklin Celebrini for the top spot. I feel like the top spot is all but secure for Macklin Celebrini, regardless of what he does the rest of the season. Um, and Cole Eiserman's production has dropped. Now, um, it hasn't dropped to the extent that a lot of people might be fretting over. I've seen a lot of overreaction on the internet about the lack of scoring from Cole Eiserman and the dip in play from Cole Eiserman. To me, it's not that noticeable. I've seen a lot of this kid's games. Um, the kid is very elite at putting the puck in the back of the net. It's like Cole Caulfield, but different than Cole Caulfield, almost even more automatic than Cole Caulfield, if you could even be that. Um, I think Cole Eiserman is a very talented player. I think um, it's hard in your draft year. Not everybody, especially when you're playing on the national team development program, you don't really have, whereas on a junior team or even a college team, you have guys around you who have been drafted, so they are able to share that experience with you of what it was like, what that year was like, how you can handle the challenges and the burdens of it and come out a better person for it and a better hockey player. On a team like the National Team Development Program, yes, they have every resource available in order to make you the best person and the best hockey player you can be. You, Especially nowadays, you don't even really go to school anymore. It's all online school nowadays. So the focus is hockey, hockey, hockey. So it's not as if any of these players are underprepared for the realities of the National Hockey League and what a draft year would look like. But with Cole Eiserman, the there is no elder statesman, there's no veteran there to kind of shepherd him along, help him out. And um, I think that might be part of the reason why we've seen a bit of a dip. 
I will say on some of these draft boards, I think the dip for Iserman is ridiculous. I mean, I've seen him even outside the top 10 in a lot of uh, projections, and I, I would I would be surprised if he ends up falling that much. I, I do think my number three ranking for him is probably a little bit high relative to the other people out there, other draft analysts, and I understand that, but I'm still going to put him three anyways. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna, I am gonna. don't really need to explain myself much more than that. Cole Eisenman's a really good player. Um, any team would be lucky to have him if we're comparing him to Cole Caulfield, which they are two different players. Um, but I think a lot of people wish they had picked um, Cole Caulfield higher than they uh, let him slip to the Montreal Canadiens. I think he went 15th overall. So I think a lot of teams would have picked him higher had they known that he was going to turn out to be the player that he has. So uh, fourth overall, I got London Knights defenseman Sam Dickinson. This kid is really solid. Uh, reminds me a lot of Kevin Korczynski. Obviously, the London Knights just came off a 14-game rip, and they lost two games in a row in a shootout, but um, we'll see them back in action this weekend, and Dickinson is just so solid. Like I said, reminds me of Kevin Korczynski a lot. Um, smooth, fluid skater, um, really just solid in all three zones, was the captain of one of the CHL Top Prospects teams, and um, I don't know. I just I really like this guy. I see a lot of you know, Duncan Keith may be the wrong name to bring up. Um, obviously, comparing players is a very difficult task. No two people are the same, let alone two hockey players. Um, when players are growing up, they take bits and pieces from all sorts of different people. But um, Sam Dickinson is a really just a solid guy. And, um, you know, if we're, if we're thinking locally with the Hawks, because, right, we have the Hawks here. Their success is pretty important to our success long term and where we hope to be as a company and a uh, a group. So um, having the team be good is good for us. And we all know that the, sh- the Blackhawks are likely going to have another top five pick on their hands entering this draft. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say, I mean, per- ideally you'd get Celebrini, you know, next up you'd probably get a guy like Levshinov to pair up with Korchinski. Um, you don't want to be the Ottawa Senators now with too many left shot defensemen. I'm just kidding. But um Acquiring a player like Dickinson, Dickinson might even have a bit of a higher ceiling than Korchinski, especially offensively. Um, I don't think everything we've seen out of Kevin Korchinski offensively this year is his potential. Um, keep in mind, he's a 19-year-old playing the National Hockey League on defense for a not-so-great team. Um, but I think Dickinson's really solid. There's um, He just plays the game the right way. Uh, and when, he, when you see players that do that at that age, there's not really a lot you have to say about them, which might, in fact... I think he's very he's considered very highly amongst the the draft gurus and analysts and scouts. But the the one thing that might have them pick maybe one of these Russian players that I'm going to get to next, or um, you know maybe a guy like Levchinov or Eiserman or um, others, you know, is maybe the flashiness of the game. Right? Uh, Sam Dickinson doesn't do anything that necessarily stands out or sets him apart, which I think is just good. He's a safe, sound cerebral there's that word again um player and uh, i think any team that takes sam dickinson is going to be lucky to have him so uh rounding out my top five we have russian ivan demidov and we got two russians right now that are in the consensus top 10 we have ivan demidov and anton salayev defenseman and i have them five six right now in my current top 10 projections and look these guys could go two three these guys could go i mean salayev is six foot seven on without skates on i mean that kid is a beast he is playing incredibly well. You could tell Ivan Demidov is playing a bit below his level. He's had a bit of um, injury struggles um, this season. But, the, I mean, that kid is a wizard with the puck on his stick. It's not easy to establish yourself as a top-end prospect in Russia, too, with some of these leagues and um, a lot of the player movement. Sometimes you're playing for two, three, four teams in a season. So it can be hard to really demolish a certain level that you're at. But that is exactly what Ivan Demidov is doing right now. He is demolishing the MHL right now. So... Um, he's arguably way too good for that level. Um, I, I don't know realistically how much the Russian factor is going to play into things here. Um, we obviously saw Matvey Michkov dip a little bit in the draft. Obviously, these are all very different players. So I don't know if there will exist the same... If we're putting all of our chips on the table, character issues that existed with Matt Vyamichkov, I don't know that there's going to be anything like that with Ivan Demidov. We will see about that. I mean, the kid's built pretty solid. He's 5'11", he's 181, um, just very shifty, outstanding release, sees the ice very well, um, 
hard to defend. I mean, like it just I mean, like I said, I don't know if a lot of it is relative to the league he's playing in or just the fact that he's that level above um, the rest of the competition. But Demidov is really good. We'll see um, how that goes and where he ends up getting picked. But I don't see him slipping past five. We saw Matt Vyamichkov go seven to um, Philadelphia last year. And I mentioned David Reinbacher earlier and how that was a big point of contention with a lot of people. Why didn't you pick Michkov at five? Um, a lot of people felt Michkov could have gotten two behind Connor Bedard. Um, and he didn't. And we know, I, you know we talked about the Nashville Predators potentially moving up. Philly ends up getting their guy at seven. So we'll see where Demidov goes. And like I said, I have Salayev at six too. Um, the defensemen in this draft are very, very interesting. Um because I'm very high on Levshinov. I think he'll go, uh, he'll be the first defenseman off the board. I am very high on Sam Dickinson. And I think he will be, he will challenge to be the best defenseman coming out of this draft when all is said and done with this career. Um, and Salayev is just, how can you turn down a six foot seven guy that skates the way he does and produces points the way he does? I mean, that's like kind of unheard of. Um, but, and even the fact that they're, playing him in the KHL as a draft eligible. I mean, I think it's kind of hard to turn down someone that is 6'7 into your lineup. But, um, you know, we'll see. This defenseman is really great on uh, – this draft is very great on defensemen. So, um, 7, though, I have Tijaginla. And Tijaginla is uh, one of my risers for this draft. I probably have him the highest out of most people here. I mean, guys have other players like Berkeley Catton on there who's a very, very good hockey player. He's just outside my top 10, though. Um, other guys like Constant Hellenius, too, the, the Finnish player out of uh, Um He's okay. He's okay. I think he struggled at the World Juniors last year. Um, he's seeing time at the power play at the pro level in Finland. Um, but I just, I think Tijaginla is going to be, I mean, I don't know if eventually he cracks the top five. I think the, the talent is too jam-packed at the top five for Tij to be able to slide in there but he was his team's best player at the chl top prospects game his draft stats are eerily similar to his father's and i know that those comparisons are going to be natural when you have a dad who is the type of player that jerome mcginla was i might say one of my favorite players that i got to watch growing up in the nhl a player that i modeled what i tried to play a lot after as a right shot to, as a right shot forward especially um but uh tid shoots left and he's not, I want to say not as physical as his dad, but that might be putting it the wrong way. I will just say he doesn't take as many penalty minutes as his dad, especially when you're comparing draft years. Obviously, we're talking about the 90s versus uh, 2024 here. Um, but the thing about Tidge is that the physicality is still there in the sense of where he puts himself, um, the maturity of which he plays the game. It's almost uh, Brady Kachuk-esque. I would say, um, but maybe even, I almost want to say a little bit of a higher scoring potential, but um, I think Brady Kachuk's going to hit 40 goals eventually. So um, I got Tidge at seven right now, and I think that that could shift depending on how some of these teams, like I said, feel about taking a player from Russia. Um, whether, like, you know, if you can get a player like Demidov or Saliva into your system in a year or two, um, maybe those guys go higher, but if you're looking at maybe like a three, maybe a four year wait time, maybe a guy like Tidge, uh, slides up and they decide to take a chance on him because I'm going to say this now, I think Tidge Ginla might be the most NHL ready draft prospect here. I think that surprisingly enough, whatever team takes him, wherever they take him, I think you are going to be pleasantly surprised at training camp next year as I'm not saying that he'll make an NHL roster, whatever NHL team picks him next year. But I am saying that he will get a lot closer than people right now would even think Tijikinla will get. So um, that's my number seven. My number eight is Zane Parekh. We talked a little bit about the Saginaw Spirit earlier. This kid is unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, in a draft full of defensemen, he's the fourth up on my board, and he might be my most favorite to watch. I mean, he is Quinn Hughes-esque. He... Um, just so silky, so good with the puck on his stick. Um, I, I'm sure he has room to grow on the defensive end. I won't admit to have analyzed his defensive game that terribly much. Um, but this kid has a lot of potential with him. And, you know, we're talking about room for growth. Um, Lev Shinov, I feel like, has a lot of room for growth. 
and he's already at such a level of play and playing against really big, strong men with Michigan State that um, I think he's the first defenseman off the board. And maybe this is a bit of my consensus bias leading me to put Dickinson and Salayev ahead of a guy like Zane Prick. But this kid is so, so talented and like is he's a player like he's he's absolutely an NHL player. Um, you know, some of these guys like constantly not I'm not trying to rip on this kid at all. I think he's a very good prospect, but I could also see that kid not playing in the National Hockey League when all is said and done or not really getting that many games. And now watch, he's going to go be a Hall of Famer now. But um, Zane Parekh is a really, really good, good, solid defenseman. He's six foot. He's 181. So he's not overly physically imposing. He's not the six foot seven, 210 of Anton Salayev. I don't think anybody is in this draft class, though. But even a guy like Lev Shinov um, or Sam Dickinson, who are both 6'2", over 200 pounds, um, Zane Parekh is not that. He's not going to throw the body around. He's not going to wow you with um, the the physicality part of his game, but he's going to wow you with his offensive offensive ability, his ability to quarterback a power play. Um, so give me, give me Zane Parekh at a soft 8. I feel like that kid could go 5. Um, I feel like he could go... 10, but um, I, I think that kid's game is going to grow and we're going to see him on an international stage too, obviously, like I mentioned with the Memorial Cup coming up. Um, so rounding up my top 10 is uh, number nine, Caden Lindstrom. I, you know, I, this kid is someone I've seen as high as five. I've seen him as low as 15. Um, I think that's ridiculous if you're putting this kid that low. Um, yeah, but he's a throwback. He's got a tremendous amount of skill in his game, just a tremendous amount of skill. Um, six foot three, 210 pounds, um, just really strong. The medicine hat tigers are a team that's on the up and up. Obviously you have 2026 prospect Gavin McKenna. Um, but I, I just think he's physically imposing with and without the puck. He, um, finishes all of his checks. The, the passes he makes, the finish he has for a guy of his size is just really, really impressive. Um, I could see him, I, I don't know, I'm trying to find an NHL comparison. Some of these guys are kind of hard to. I'm thinking of just like a big body center, almost like a Quinton Byfield type. Um, I think QB is a little bit stronger maybe than Caden Lindstrom. I think they're pretty comparable in size, but I think uh, Byfield might have more of that man strength to him, obviously being a few years older. Um, but Caden Lindstrom's a really, really good prospect for this draft, and I think whatever team gets him will be more than pleased with the player they're receiving. And rounding out my top 10, uh, probably a bit of a surprise, I think, but maybe not, because I think this guy has shot up a lot of people's rankings, especially after the World Juniors that he had, Zeev Bouillam, um, out of Denver. He is six foot, he's 183. And just so you know, that gives me an even balance of forwards and defensemen in my top 10. Five forwards, five defensemen. Um, give me Zeev Bouillam finishing out the top 10. He is very good. Obviously, his brother Shea Boyum is a Red Wings pick. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he's a Red Wings pick. Um, but just was tremendous at the World Juniors. Just phenomenal. You could tell even by the last game of the tournament that he was one of the defensemen the United States was leaning on the most. Um, he even produced some offense for the U.S. World Junior team. Two goals, six assists. I mean, you know, like... I'm not going to sit here and say that this kid could be a top pair defenseman because that's kind of what we've seen with the with Levshinov, Dickinson, and to a lesser extent, Salayev and Parekh. Those guys are probably have the ambition and the goal of being a top pair defenseman in the National Hockey League. I think that a guy like Salayev and maybe even Parekh would be better suited as a really, really good third defenseman in the National Hockey League. Um, but Ziv Boyum is probably trending towards that same kind of projection uh top four definitely maybe top three and maybe even top two um that kid's just been phenomenal for um for denver and for the u.s um so i'm gonna just uh quick shout out to the guys that just did not make my top 10 right now michael Brandseg nygaard uh the norwegian player currently playing for mora and alsvexen um phenomenal seven points in his seven games after the world juniors um plays a lot of minutes there um, very speedy, very shifty kind of forward, shoots the puck really well, creates opportunities for himself and his teammates. Um, one of the reasons why I like some of these players representing their countries, uh, you can really take a good, like when we watched uh, Germany at the World Juniors a few years ago when they had their golden age of youth with Tim Stutzla and JJ Paterka and Lucas Reichel on the team, the way that Tim Stutzla in particular was able to carry 
the German group that was clearly weaker than the rest of the teams at the tournament into parlaying into some success. I think they lost in the quarterfinals that year. But um, even still, getting Germany to a quarterfinal, I think they won like two games that tournament. Um, it shows the ability to take over a game and to keep pace with those guys. And, you know, Norway's first game of the World Juniors this past year was a game against the United States that I think the scoreline ended up being pretty not close, but that game was close for a very, very long time. Uh, Branzak Nygaard was a key piece of that, and you could tell that he was the driver for that team Norway there at the World Juniors. I know they um, did not have the showing they wanted. They got relegated, I'm pretty sure, but um, he was still very noticeable, and I think that that guy is going to be a top two line forward in the NHL. Um, maybe an Oliver Bjorkstrand type, we will see, um, especially if he decides to make that transition. I think, you know, some of these guys, you know, Raven and I were talking about air about some rumor boy stuff. We'll, I'll do a bit more digging on that and see if I can come back tomorrow with a bit, with a bit more information on it. But just the, the transition that you, uh, make to the National Hockey League, um, and over to North America style of play too. I think Branzag Nygaard is the kind of player that, you know, even maybe playing junior hockey, whether I don't know what uh, CHL team owns his rights, if there is a CHL team that owns his rights, but um, it, maybe if he can make that transition and play a little bit of junior hockey, or maybe if, even if he wants to play in the American Hockey League next year, I think that might be a big step for a player like Branzag Nygaard, but um, we'll see. And then just outside, like I said, um, also just missing the cut, but another player I'm really high on, Sasha Boyver, um, plays for Muskegon in the USHL. Um, really talented dude, um, scoring a lot of goals and he's going back to junior hockey for another season before going to college. He's a North Dakota commit, but he's not going to start playing there until 25, 26. So we're going to see him dominate the, uh, junior circuit another year. Obviously Liam Greentree is a good player. Um, pretty high on him. Panos is pretty high on him too. I know that, uh, Ryder Ritchie is a guy I'm really high on. I think he could sneak into the top 15, let's say, um, and let's say like 15th there when it comes to Radarichi, but I think he's just a phenomenal player. Um, really talented, really shifty, almost like a Cam Atkinson type of guy. Um, so uh, I will do a full 32 eventually, and I'll probably do two full 32s as we go on. I'll do one, what I would pick if I had all 32 picks, um, and one of what I think will actually happen at the draft because we know some teams will pick off of... Um, positional need even though teams will say they never draft off a positional need in hockey um this isn't football everybody um so but we'll see about that and obviously as um as the season comes to an end they do the draft lottery we decide we figure out who has the first 16 picks anyways um we'll, we'll do more of this so um but that is it for us today here on the program we thank you very much for joining us for the amount of time that you did we hope we were able to uh Bring a little bit of joy to your morning with a little bit of hockey, and we'll be back in 24 hours. We'll talk NHL All-Star Weekend. We'll set you up. Hopefully we get Avery Lewis McDougal on. Um, but thank you again, as always. Have a great rest of your day. 